Welcome back, guys. This is SGR number 73. We're talking about the New York Giants today. I'm recording this on Wednesday, July 27th. By the time it gets to you, it will be the 28th. And one week from Thursday, the 28th, we have the Hall of Fame game kicking off the preseason. Raiders and Jaguars play next week, August 4th. So we're one week away from some semi-legitimate football to watch here. Uh, it's time to start paying attention to some of these uh, training camp storylines and uh, some of these local beat reporters, you know, what's going on behind the scenes this time of year. And uh, we're going to continue to plow through our uh, team preview series. We're going to wrap up the NFC East today talking about the New York Giants. So let's get right into it. Um, this team, you know, not great last year. Don't really expect a huge improvement this year. Main offseason storylines. Um, new head coach, Brian Dable. New general manager. Uh, his name's Joe Shane, even though it's pronounced Shone, and I'm going to have a tough time differentiating that. Um, so new front office regime and really the two building blocks or, you know, they planned on them being building blocks of the offense, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, both going into contract years. So it's kind of a make it break it year for those two players. And like I said, new head coach, new GM, you know, a lot of moving pieces this offseason. We'll see if it translates in year one here, but um, let's get into some of the details. Uh, obviously, this team dropped some dead weight this offseason, getting rid of head coach Joe Judge. Um, however, last year, not very good. Four and 13 was the overall record, fourth in the NFC East, 15th in the NFC Conference, no playoffs. Uh, they had the number five pick in the NFL draft. They covered um, tied at the third worst rate along with the New York Jets. Uh, they were six and 11 against the spread, 35.3%. So not a good team, not a good covering team. Um, Daniel Jones dealing with some injuries last year. They had some ugly blowout losses with guys like Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm playing quarterback for this team. That definitely was reflected in their end-of-season stats. The offense was 31st in points per game and yards per game, scoring 15.2 points per game. Don't understand how a team managed to score less than that. Um, I, I have a feeling that might be the Jets there, but I don't remember exactly. Um, anyways, oh, it was the Texans. Never mind. Anyways, um, offense, second worst in the NFL. Defense, Mediocre to below average, 23rd in points per game, 24.5 given up, so 9 points more than they were scoring. Uh, 21st in yards per game, 354.8, and their turnover margin was 26th in the league at a minus 8 turnover margin. So whenever you're in that you know bottom 25 percentile of turnover margin, it's not going to look pretty. I mentioned the plan to try and fix all this, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is head coach Brian Dable. Uh, he was uh, most recently credited with the um, you know, development of Josh Allen in Buffalo. Obviously, you can't just give that to one guy. But a big reason why he was propelled into the head coaching conversation was because uh, coming from that Buffalo offensive coordinator position and the explosion at Josh Allen, I think the thought is that they want to try to have him work his magic with Daniel Jones here. Not sure Daniel Jones is salvageable at this point in his career. Um, but that's the thinking dabble, or I like to say dabble. I know it's dable that might slip sometimes. It's kind of a bagel bagel thing with me. I know it's the wrong pronunciation, but it's more fun to say. 
<clears throat> he's been in the NFL since 2000 as an offensive assistant across the league with the Patriots from uh, 2000 to 2006, Jets from 07 to 08, Cleveland from 09 to 2010, Miami, uh, Kansas City, then back to New England from 2013 to 2016, was an offensive assistant at Alabama in 2017, and then went to Buffalo um, for the last uh, three years or so. Good job in Buffalo. Like I said, he gets a promotion. Offensive coordinator under Brian Dable is Mike Kafka. He was an NFL quarterback from 2010 to 2015, more of a training camp arm. Did some time as a third stringer for the Eagles, if I remember correctly. Offensive assistant and QB coach in Kansas City from 2017 to 2021. And the passing game coordinator in Kansas City um, from 2020 to 2021. So the last two years, he was pass game coordinator for the Chiefs. Um, that Andy Reid West Coast offense. Seems like a good combo with Brian Dable. And then defensive coordinator Don Martindale. He's been around the league quite a bit. Um, coached college fo football from 1986 to 2003. Uh, came into the league with the uh, Oakland Raiders from 04 to 08, Denver Broncos 09 to 2010, Baltimore Ravens uh, defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2021, got himself a Super Bowl. Um, excuse me, 2012 to 2018. And then he was Dallas's defensive coordinator from 2018 to 2021. Still, got himself a Super Bowl in Baltimore. Pretty solid coaching staff here. Definitely an upgrade from last year. And again, the thought is, can they fix this offense? Can they fix Daniel Jones? That's really the big pressure situation. I mentioned, you know, new GM. So this is not the front office regimen that drafted Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. They're not really emotionally attached or invested in either of these guys. Um, I think it's more likely Saquon comes back if he has a good year this year, but Daniel Jones, I just see, I don't, I don't really get why they're giving him one last year, to be honest. Tyrod Taylor's the backup right now, and I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if he's kind of, you know, replacing Daniel Jones at the end of this season. Tyrod, obviously not a superstar, but Daniel Jones just sucks, in my opinion. I really view this team kind of similarly, similarly to how I view the Jets, if anybody bothered to listen to that episode. Um, I just think that they're doing some uh, good stuff in terms of the recent hires and the recent draft picks, but um, if you don't have a quarterback, it really doesn't matter. So I'm not optimistic for this team to really improve drastically this year. I think they have to shed some more dead weight, if you guys understand what I'm talking about, before they can really... Um, rebuild properly, I would say. So let's talk about the personnel. I'll run through these names pretty quickly if I can do my best here. I don't want to make this too long of an episode, as you can you guys maybe can tell by my tone. It's just not worth talking about the Giants that much. Uh, they lost defensive tackle Austin Jackson, who went and signed with the Chargers. Cornerback Keelan Crossan. Uh, tight end Evan Ingram got a one-year $10 million deal with the Jags. I'll say it on the Jags episode. Most overrated football player in the history of football. Evan Ingram hasn't done shit in his career, and people continue to talk him up for fantasy every offseason. People continue to try to... I, I, I don't get it. Evan Ingram fucking sucks. But doesn't matter. Let's move on. Cornerback James Bradbury is a big loss for this team. I mentioned him on the Eagles episode. Really solid... Um, you know, borderline number one slash very strong number two corner. He's going to be the number two in Philly. He was the number one for this team. 
some really good years in Carolina before signing with the Giants in free agency, and then they decided a year later they didn't want to pay him anymore. So whatever, Giants doing Giants things. They also lost defensive end Lorenzo Carter, safety Jabril Peppers, offensive guard Will Hernandez, I believe, went to the Cardinals, and that was interesting. I thought he would be a good player um, coming out of college, and I was you know, kind of jealous the Giants drafted him. It's surprising to see it didn't work out for him, really. Um, cornerback Logan Ryan left this team, wide receiver Dante Pettis, and punter Riley Dixon. So not that many really huge names here. I guess Bradbury is really the most significant loss. Jabril Peppers as well. Um, key additions. I did like what they did on the offensive line this offseason. They added really three starters to that O-line. So first two we'll talk about in free agency. Last would be in the draft. Um, offensive guard Mike Glowinski came over from the Indianapolis Colts, I believe. He'll be starting at right guard. Um, last year's right guard from the Buffalo Bills, John Feliciano, signed with the Giants, although he's going to be starting at center for this team. He's making the move over to center. And I, at first, was a little concerned when I saw that. I went and, you know, just looked up some, some articles, some quotes and stuff. Feliciano, I guess, has been trying to work his way over to the center position for a few years trying to kind of grease grease the wheels with some coaching staffs. I guess Buffalo wouldn't let him make the move, maybe personnel-based, but uh, the Giants are going to give him a shot. He says he, he wants to play center. He thinks it's his uh, best position on the O-line, so we'll see how that goes. The O-line, honestly, looking pretty solid. Like I mentioned, left tackle Andrew Thomas, left guard is a rookie, Joshua Ezuda. Yeah, kind of melded in on that. Um, center John Feliciano, right guard Mike Mike Glowinski, and then right tackle is another rookie, Evan Neal. So really, uh, four out of those five guys, they added this offseason, completely retooled O-line. Let's get back to it. I mentioned quarterback Tyrod Taylor's the backup. They just brought him in this offseason. Defensive tackle Justin Ellis, defensive end Jihad Ward. <clears throat> Running back Matt Breida came over from the Bills. Again, see, they brought over Feliciano and Breida, you know, two guys that are familiar with Dable's offense from Buffalo. And you see a lot of first-year head coaches doing that when they switch organizations. They'll grab a couple of their guys. Makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Breida's the second-string running back on this roster. Devontae Booker was the uh, guy at RB2 last year, and he's no longer on the roster. Uh, lastly, we'll round this out with a couple of ancillary offensive players. Tight end Ricky Seals-Jones joined the team this offseason. He's actually penciled in as the starting tight end right now. Tight end Jordan Aikens is right behind him on the depth chart, uh, coming over from the Texans, I believe. Wide receiver Richie James comes over from the 49ers and offensive tackle Matt Gano to round out the free agency moves. Let's talk about the draft because this is really the more exciting portion of their offseason. Aside from adding those two veteran offensive linemen, not many big impact signings. They went and spent a bunch of money last offseason that did not pay off with the addition of Kenny Galladay and some other key pieces. But um, the draft here, they had a pretty strong draft, I think, as much as it kills me to say. Again, you know, I talked about the Jets having recent success in drafts, but as long as, you know, you've essentially got an anchor attached to, you know, if your NFL team is a boat, Daniel Jones is a massive anchor weighing, weighing this ship down. So it's just, it's similar to the Zach Wilson situation to me. Um, but they did, they did some interesting things in the draft. Uh, round one, they had two top 10 picks, pick five and seven, and they got two potential studs here. 
Uh, defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon was the fifth overall pick, and he's a guy that, you know, three, four, five, six months ago was being talked about as potentially the uh, the number one pick in the draft. Like, going into the college football season, he was the number one projected pick. He slipped to five. Some guys leapfrogged him. Trayvon Walker with an, a historic uh, draft process rise. And uh, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson really showed out at the defensive end position. But Thibodeau is a guy with all the raw talent and potential in the world to be, you know, maybe the best pass rusher from this draft class. So that was a pretty solid pick, I think. Uh, trying to build in the trenches in this draft and in this uh, um, free agency period, I think that shows. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that with the Jets again, you know, a struggling team. A lot of times, you know, the better way to build is from the inside out. So it makes sense to me. Got to get tougher. Got to get more physical. Uh, this has not been a t- not been a tough football team at all recently. So again, offensive tackle Evan Neal um, out of Alabama, dude's just a straight up monster. Um, could be a very good tackle starting at right tackle for them right now. Um, was debated to be the top tackle taken in this draft class for a long time. If I'm remembering, Akeem Aquanu went ahead of him to the Carolina Panthers at six. But Evan Neal was even talked about as a potential like top three, maybe even number one overall pick if the uh, if the Jags decide to go O line and invest in Trevor Lawrence a little bit. So they get him all the way at seven, getting Thibodeau at five and Neal at seven, pretty solid values considering both were in the conversation for like top three picks. Um, second round, they took a wide receiver, Wandale Robinson, which is, that was weird to me. That was very weird to me considering, I think this team has the most, um, financial investment at the wide receiver position in the entire NFL. They have a pretty ambiguous receiving group. A lot of guys that they've maybe spent money on or high draft capital that just haven't done much yet. Um, so, um, I guess investing more resources in the receiver room threw me off guard. Uh, Wandale Robinson, can't remember if I said his name. He's out of University of Kentucky. And, you know, obviously you can you can never have too many weapons, but they went and spent a shit ton on Kenny Galladay last year. They still have Sterling, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Toney. They just drafted in the first round last year. Um, Darius Slayton is still on the team. It, it surprised me. So we'll see about Wandale Robinson. Don't know much about the player at this time. And he's currently, you know, fourth, fifth receiver on the depth chart. So spending a second round pick on a guy that's buried on your depth chart was weird to me. They went and, uh, like I said, Joshua Ezudu, um, offensive guard, uh, round three draft pick to continue to build that O-line. Like I said, four new starters on that O-line. That's going to be interesting, and I'll, I'll talk about it more in the fantasy breakdown. Um, round three cornerback, Cordell Flott. Uh, interesting name out of LSU and round four tight end Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State University that's going to round up our draft recap Bellinger is the third tight end on the depth chart so let's talk about how this team's going to do this year let's go over the schedule you guys get the format by now um this team has, uh, based on you know the strength of schedule rankings that I've been looking at, the easiest schedule in the league. But they're still not going over their win total. I'll just get ahead of it right now. So let's talk about it. Schedule, preseason, Patriots, Bengals, Jets, 
Season opener at Tennessee. Then they get the Panthers, Cowboys, Bears at Packers, Ravens at Jags at Seahawks, Texans, Lions at Cowboys, Commanders, Eagles at Commanders at Vikings, Colts at Eagles. So, yeah, let's let's talk about the the real scumbag bottom of the barrel teams that they have a shot to beat. Panthers, Bears, Jags, Texans, Seahawks, Lions, maybe. It's about it. That's what, like five or six? And Giants will probably manage to lose half of those. I mean, there's a real possibility that the Jags are better with Doug Peterson and a second-year Trevor Lawrence. There's a real possibility that the Lions are better with a second year of Dan Campbell and some of the really solid draft picks they've been putting in. I think the Giants are still the worst team in this division. First-year head coach uh, Daniel Jones just, again, the anchor weighing down this ship. I don't think it matters that they have you know, what these uh, experts are calling an easy schedule because they're not better than the Titans, Cowboys, Packers, Ravens, Cowboys again, Commanders twice, Eagles twice, Vikings, Colts. They're just not better than any of those teams. Their over-under for win total is 7.5. The over's plus 145. The under's minus 170. Give me the under on that. Might be betting that one. It looks pretty good to me. Don't see how the Giants win eight games this year unless most of their division is riddled with injuries. Again, um, worst team in their division. How are you going to win eight games in the NFC East? Um, You know, last place in this division usually wins four or five games. I just don't see it. I don't get why the number is so high, to be honest. Maybe just because they're kind of a big public market and all these fucking you know, Yankees and Mets and Giants and Jets fans over there are just crazy in New York and they'll bet on their team regardless, I guess. But this team is dead in the water until they get rid of Daniel Jones, in my opinion. I mentioned earlier, I'm more optimistic about Saquon maybe having a bounce back, but Daniel Jones just isn't an NFL quarterback. So why are we wasting the time here? Their odds to win the division are six to one conference, 44 to one Super Bowl, 80 to one. If you like lighting money on fire, go ahead. Odds to make the playoffs, yes, plus 185, no, minus 280. That's that's good enough, guys. Let's keep this moving. You know, fantasy, maybe there's some more um, analysis to do, but in terms of winning football games, I just don't see it for this team. So let's talk about the pieces. Let's get the honorable mentions out of the way. I kind of, you know, teased a little bit. There's a random, you know, kind of murky situation with the receiver room. It's yet to be determined who the number one for this team will be, if there is a number one. And really, you know, with guys like Darius Slayton having shown a lot of flashes in the past, being the fourth receiver, and Wondell Robinson, a second-round investment by the current front office, being the fifth receiver, we could see some serious shakeup. I think in terms of this depth chart along the course of the season, as maybe they early in the season favor guys like Galladay and Shepard who have more experience and maybe more of a financial investment from this team. But as, as this new coaching staff and this new front office go through the season and continue to lose games with the players that were on this roster last year, I think they're going to have to realize, hey, let's give our guy a shot. 
Maybe Sterling Shepard isn't long destined for this locker room, and maybe Wondell Robinson can turn into something on his rookie deal for us at a cheap cost. So yeah, like Galladay and Shepard, I fear the worst for. I don't love their outlook this year with the young talent and recent draft investments behind them of Kadarius, Tony, and Wondell Robinson. So again, let's just cover all the bases. Quarterback Tyrod Taylor's the backup. Uh, the receivers, um, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, Darius Slayton, and Wondell Robinson are guys to be aware of. Uh, running backs, really the only two worth mentioning, Saquon Barkley and Matt Breida. Um, Matt Breida, I don't expect to have a big role, maybe some third down work. But I think Saquon is going to be relatively in workhorse mode this season if he can stay healthy. Um, lastly, the tight ends, Ricky Seals-Jones and Jordan Akins. Neither are going to be very fantasy relevant, touchdown or bust guys. Journeyman, you know, kind of a whack roster here. So Daniel Jones, I think he has potential to be better for fantasy than as a real-life quarterback, but... He's not a guy I'm targeting with my drafts. I'm not in any two QBs or super flexes, so it's not something I really dive into. But if you guys are in any of those leagues, I guess he's worth consideration. The reason I say he's better for fantasy is because this team has such a bad defense that he has to throw a lot late in games. You could get some garbage time opportunities. And he also is sneakily uh, mobile. He has some sneaky upside in terms of rushing ability. He's usually good for maybe, you know, 20 rushing yards a game or so to go over his rushing prop and get you a few bonus yards. He's had some pretty explosive runs. He actually had one against the Eagles a few years ago that he went for like 70 yards still managed to trip over his own feet in the open field and not score, but he's got some speed where if he gets in the open field, you can, you'll actually you'll say to yourself, holy shit, was that Daniel Jones? Because he is kind of fast. But um, like I said, that applies more to fantasy than to real-life football. I don't think it equates to wins, but rushing obviously gives you a huge fantasy upside. So he's being drafted uh, 193 overall, quarterback 27 last year. 256 overall, quarterback 30. So a slight raise because, again, I think the fantasy community realizes that rushing upside that, you know, if you're not looking too close, you can easily miss that with a guy like Daniel Jones. So uh, last year being drafted 30 at the QB position, finished 27th overall, only played 11 games, was QB 19 in points per game. So that shows some of that sneaky upside as well, sneaking into that top 20 in points per game. Um, obviously only playing 11 games last year, so he could have had a better overall finish. Consistency-wise, 18.2% uh, of the time he was in the top six. That's 18th ranked in the NFL, so again, better than his yearly finish of 27th overall. And uh, he, he never finished a QB 7 through 12, so again, top 12 finish was 18.2, and that was 37th best, so that's not great. Um, finished QB 13 through 24, 54% of the time and busted out of the top 24, 27% of the time. So not what you want to see. Obviously, again, he's not a starting QB for your fantasy team. He's a potential streamer based on matchup slash QB two, uh, in a very deep league. <clears throat> so not super interested daily streamer. Maybe look for those rushing props. Maybe look for Daniel Jones' first touchdown on like a random Thursday night football game where the Giants and the Commanders are playing. Like it's always good to take a fourteen to one on a QB to get a, a nice read option in there on the goal line. But other than that, like 
We're not really in investing in Daniel Jones. We're not investing in that much of this offense. I'll tell you guys right now, there's two guys that I'm interested in in this offense at all for fantasy this year. One of them, Saquon Barkley. One of them's one of the receivers we'll talk about. So Saquon, as we move on to the running backs, I find myself being back in on Saquon this year. And a lot of people, I get it, they're snake bitten, they can't do it. He's disappointed two, maybe three years in a row at this point from a fantasy standpoint. A lot of injuries, I totally get it. I was one of those guys. I had him not this past year, but uh, the year before that, 2020, I believe, where he got shut down by the Steelers week one and then tore his ACL week two, and I got two fantasy points from Saquon with the number one overall pick in my fantasy draft. You know, that hurt, but I find myself being back in on it this year. Um, I think sometimes the injury-prone thing, it can get blown out of proportion. I guess by this same logic, I should be back in on Christian McCaffrey. I'm not sure why I'm still a little bit more nervous about that. Maybe it's because of uh, some of the resources that team has added to the running back position and the fact that their offensive line is still really bad, but... This team made some upgrades to the O-line this offseason. Warren Sharp has them ranked 23rd in the NFL, which is not great. But I think a lot of that is reflected in the fact that they have two rookies starting and there's just not really a great way to put a value on those guys yet. They haven't played in the NFL. And I think Evan Neal will be just fine. Andrew Thomas played a lot better last year for them as a second-year left tackle. He goes into his third year as a solid guy. And they've got uh, that rookie Joshua Izudu. I think he's really the wild card here. He was a third-round pick, but if they can get solid play from him. I think this offensive line can be better. I think Daniel Jones stinks at football. And if that's the case, you know, I think best-case scenario or really the, you know, the best option for this Giants team is to keep the football out of Daniel Jones' hands as much as they can. And to, the, to me, that means a short passing game and uh, a heavy run game and maybe a lot of screens and checkdowns for Saquon, I find myself being back in on him. He's being drafted 20th overall as the running back 11. Being drafted 10th overall as the RB9 last year, finished 30th at the running back position, 14 games played 39th in points per game. I get it. He has not looked good. I think maybe the other reason why I, I guess I have a little bit more confidence in Saquon, A, draft capital. I mean, if you can get this guy in the early third round of your draft versus having to spend a top three pick on on CMC, I view that as a huge difference in risk. And also, we have at least seen Saquon, I mean, he played 14 games last year, and I know that the eyeball test was not good. <clears throat> At times, he didn't even look like the best running back on his team with Devontae Booker sometimes showing more burst. But I'm going to attribute that to maybe a season filled with him not being 100% back from those injuries. I think he comes into this offseason ready to go. I mean, you don't ever want to get too sucked into the, the offseason hype videos on Instagram, but he, <laughs> the guy looks good in shorts. I'll tell you that. Saquon is putting in the work. Hey, he has a great social media team behind him, and, and I, I think he's he's got me back in on him this year because, again, I think he's a running back that can be in workhorse mode with his only competition being Matt Breida on this depth chart. He's a guy that I think should be the focal point of his offense with kind of a vague, underwhelming receiving core. And how many times do I have to say it? Daniel Jones is his quarterback. So I kind of like it for Saquon. 
Um, 18th easiest schedule for fantasy running backs. Nothing special, but again, I think he, he's a volume play for me. He finished a top 12 running back 23% of the time last year. It was 28th most consistent. Finished RB2 15.4% of the time, 45th in consistency. Um, top 24, 38.5% of the time, 39th in consistency. And uh, outside of the top 24, 61% of the time. Outside of the top 36, 30.8% of the time. It's all It's not good. Again, I'm just, I think I'm willing to take one more gamble on Saquon because I think he's such an elite talent. And if he's healthy, he's fucking gold for fantasy. And this O line is better, like I said. I think that gives me optimism. So let's do the receivers. You know, I'm just going to, let's get the tight ends out of the way. I'm not drafting either one of them. Ricky Seals Jones and Jordan Akins are both being undrafted. Ricky Seals Jones is going 334 overall, tight end 35. Just don't touch these guys. He played last year for the Washington football team. He had like, I think, 300 receiving yards on the season. Just don't do it at the tight end position here. So now let's talk receivers and let's wrap this up. So there's only one guy I'm interested in, and I mentioned. Um, I've saved it, you know, the best for last here, I guess. I've, I've sucked all the drama and suspense out of this. His name is Kadarius Tony, And Kadarius Tony is a very polarizing player in the fantasy community. He's very polarizing to Giants fans, I'm sure, and to this front office, I'm sure. Kadarius Tony showed flashes of being an elite receiver last year. He had one game in particular against the Dallas Cowboys where I forgot to pull up his stat line, but I'm pulling it up now. And the guy had like 180 yards in a single game here. Let's try and find this here as I do some more digging. I mean, only 39 receptions and 420 yards last season. And I can't find this, and this is just bad radio here, but the guy had like nine catches for 180 yards and a touchdown against Dallas last year. And if you just look at the eyeball test, I mean, he was electric in terms of his stop-and-go ability, his, his freakish um, quick burst ability. You know, the easy comparison for a short, explosive guy like that is Tyreek Hill. I don't know if Kadarius Tony has the deep threat ability to take the top off the defense like a Tyreek Hill, but he's got this elite quickness and burst and agility that, you know, he was making guys miss left and right. He looked electric. He looked like a potential PPR monster. And I think he represents one of these guys that you can get super late in your fantasy drafts that could end up being like an absolute target hog, the elite wide receiver one for their team. You can get this guy at 117th overall in your fantasy drafts, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th round, depending on your league size. Wide receiver 51, he's going off the board. And again, I just think, although he was super inconsistent last year, only played nine games, only started five, you know, low snap counts, high bust rate. He's, he's almost free in your drafts, and with the, the physical talent that this guy is and the fact that the wide receiver room is so murky and that it's, it you know, there's no clear-cut number one here. I think Kenny Galladay showed last year that he is not really going to be a factor. I mentioned Sterling Shepard just kind of being a guy there, and both these guys could see younger talent replace them in snap counts this season. I think Tony has an opportunity to establish himself as the best receiver on this team, and rather quickly. 
So he's going 117th overall, wide receiver 51. Last year, 225 overall, wide receiver 77. Finished wide receiver 88 on the year, but I said only started five games. 62nd in points per game, so he had the ability to disappear as well. But I'm telling you guys, the short flashes of elite athleticism has me enough to take a gamble in the 12th round of my fantasy drafts on this guy. Only finished top 12 receiver 10% of his games, um, which... Of course, was that Cowboys game where he absolutely went nuclear and I believe finished the wide receiver one on the week. Uh, Outside of that, I mean, the other fucking 90% of the games he finished outside of the top 24. So not great. But again, only five starts. You know, small sample size. I'm not holding it against him. Kenny Galladay dropped off the face of the earth last year, 137th overall and 57th wide receiver drafted this year after being the 27th receiver drafted last year, 72 overall. Um, Finished wide receiver 79, played 14 games, 99th in points per game. Kenny Galladay finished a top 12 receiver zero times, finished a number two receiver once, and then busted outside of the top 36, 93% of the time last year. The guy's done. He clearly signed in New York two years ago because they were the team offering him the most money, not because he wanted to continue to build on his legacy or success. Really disappointing to see. He was a guy I rooted for in Detroit. I thought he was a very talented player. I was a little bit nervous. You know, all the Giants signed Galladay. That's a good signing. Uh, the guy looks like he will be out of the NFL in a few years if he doesn't have a drastic, you know, immaculate rebirth this offseason. And like I said, uh, since signing Kenny Galladay, they've drafted Kadarius Tony in the first and Wandell Robinson in the second. I just don't see this front office being, you know, super invested in these veteran receivers. Sterling Shepard not even being drafted, 308 overall wide receiver, 108. Um, last year, Sterling Shepard top 12, 14.3% of the time in only seven games, um, wide receiver two, 14.3% of the time, and then busted outside of the top 24, 72% of the time. None of these guys had good years last year. Um, none of these guys I expect to make an impact going forward besides Barkley and Kadarius Tony. Again, I mentioned, you know, about how, you know, it's best for this offense to, have Daniel Jones, uh, you know, ideally do as little as possible. And I think that reflects in Tony's upside as well. I mentioned he has the ability to be a PPR guy. You can throw quick screens, you know, drag routes, underneath, hook, curls, whatever. Get him the ball underneath. Get him an opportunity to make guys miss and make life easier on Daniel Jones. He's a guy I'll be targeting at the end of my drafts because, again, essentially free first-round draft capital, elite athletic upside, and a quarterback who is not that good, which for a guy like Tony maybe ends up helping him um, in terms of, like I said, getting peppered with short targets and having a really high PPR floor. So that's where I'm at with the Giants. That was 35 minutes, keeping this around the same time length as our Jets episode. We seem to be on a pretty consistent um, you know, pace here, which is cool. Um, I do want to mention, I don't know what team I'm doing next or what division I'm doing next. Um, I'm going to take the day to think about it. I was originally going to do the AFC North next, but I have no clue what's going on with Deshaun Watson, guys. I'm really getting annoyed, to be honest, like waiting for the NFL to make a fucking decision about this shit. I'd like to know what's going on with the Cleveland Browns before I do my AFC North episodes. 
So we're probably going to delay that series for as long as possible here and hope that by the time, you know, that series is due in less than two weeks, we have some goddamn answers. Um, also, Joe Burrow just yesterday, um, Tuesday, the 26th, uh, was diagnosed with appendicitis. He's going to be having his appendix removed and could be missing, you know, two to three, you know, weeks of training camp at least here. That's a bit of a curveball for me in terms of our AFC North breakdown. So again, going to be delaying that division for as long as I can here. Hopefully we get some news soon, uh, but I'll keep you guys posted. Thinking about hopping out West next. I mean, that AFC West, Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, that might be the move right now. So I'll keep you guys posted. Follow along Instagram and Twitter at SGRPod. Thank you for listening and ramble on.